This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. We shouldn't be surprised when the world does evil things. Instead, we should be surprised when the church does, right? We've said this throughout this series, and um, the reason why I think we can answer this is because we are with God and God is with us. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about reconciliation, what it means for God to be with us uh, because our relationship has been restored to God. And so we've looked at the sick, the sinners, and the saints, and how we too have been in that category, and yet God has redeemed us out and reconciled us out of that. We've looked at how to be students of Christ, to overcome sin, Satan, and death through recognizing, repenting, re-envisioning, repatterning, refocusing, and retraining. And now we're going to look this morning at what it looks like to have a salvation that changes um, how we think about the world a salvation that changes what, what, what category we're in, from in the world to not in the, uh, of the world, from, from old to new, and from a kingdom of the world and darkness into a kingdom of God. And we're going to look at how that's going to change our minds and how we are reconciling the world to God. And if I'm honest with you this morning, right now I just want the word to be louder than the world, and I don't want to let uh, uh, the world dictate how we view uh, the, the, the world itself, how, how we as humans perceive the world should not be dictated by the world's view, uh, views or rules, but rather by Christ's transformation in our hearts, in our lives. We should be viewing the world through the lens of Christ. And so I want to start this morning with Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, which is where we'll end. And it says this, for he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. I want to begin there because I want us to remember that today is the day for salvation. Today is the time. Right now, in this moment, is the time to which we are called to reconcile the world to God. It's not that a future time is coming where we've been called to reconcile. It's right now, today. Paul gives the challenge to the world. Right now, be reconciled to God. I want us to feel the urgency, yet recognize that we can trust God, that he's working. Working, and we can trust God that in his time, he will reconcile those to him whom he has called by his name. And so we need to have the plea and the urge and the passion of Paul to call the world to uh, God the Father. To feel that tension and that desire from God to use us through Christ's death on the cross to preach the gospel through the ministry of reconciliation. So my main point for you this morning is this. God is reconciling the world through Christ's ministry on the cross and your ministry of preaching. So we're going to walk through 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, through chapter 6, verse 2. Verse 16 says, From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we know no longer know him in this way. So what Paul has done is he's shifted the way that he views the world because God has shifted his life, his entirety. Everything that is about Paul has changed, and therefore he's changed the way he looks at the world. And so our call as Christians, as disciples of Christ, students of Christ, 
is to shift the way we view the world because our whole world has been changed. Now, I want you to see that in Paul's life, right? Paul, so we may say, well, Paul was a Christian. Paul wrote a majority of, uh, a good majority of the New Testament. Um, he was, you know, we, you may say, well, he's a follower of Christ. Of course he did all these things. Well, remember how Paul viewed the world. He shares with us. We, we know that he believed Jesus was a heretic. We know that Paul believed that Jesus was a crucified heretic. Not just a heretic, but he was rightly crucified as a heretic. Like Paul was in that camp. He viewed Jesus from a worldly perspective. That's why he says in verse 16, he no longer views uh, Jesus from a worldly perspective because at one time he did, which meant that just as Galatians chapter three, verse 13 says, and Deuteronomy tells us, uh, uh, Paul believed that Jesus was under a divine curse, which made him guilty and made him uh, 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 deserving of the cross. Paul viewed with his mind that uh, Gentiles were sinners separated from the kingdom of God. And he viewed Christians as a threat to Rome and Jerusalem. And so unless they changed or were killed, uh, he still had a mission. That's why he's on the road to Damascus. Is the purpose is to shut the Christians down. Now I want, to, I want you to see what happens when a man uh, named Saul uh, is trans, transformed uh, and, and into the kingdom of God and goes from the old ways, old kingdom, into the new ways and new kingdom. He goes from Jesus was a heretic to Jesus is Lord. He goes from Jesus was a crucified heretic to now Jesus is a crucified savior. He goes from Jesus was under a divine curse and was guilty to Jesus was under a divine curse for my freedom and forgiveness. There was purpose. He goes from Gentiles were sinners separated from the kingdom of God to Gentiles are part of God's kingdom because of the cross. And he goes from Christians are a threat to Rome and Jerusalem because they are going to get all the Jews killed to Christians are a threat to Rome and Jerusalem because there is a new kingdom, kingdom coming. And there's a new king coming. And that new king is going to reign over all kingdoms. And every king on earth will bow down at his feet. And so God changes Paul's perspective from a worldly perspective to a heavenly perspective. And our challenge this morning is to have a Christ-centered, heavenly perspective as we view the world and those who are around us. And we want to see the world the way Christ sees the world. Because when we have worldly standards and sinful point of views, it divides people rather than uniting people. And it divides people specifically rather than reconciling people. If God is a God who redeems and reconciles the world to him through Christ, then we need to make sure that we're not dividing people based on sinful point of views and worldly standards. So we have to watch what the world does. And if verse 12 of chapter 5 tells us that the world judges based on external uh, circumstances, uh, Gentile and Jew, but Christ has made there no division between Gentile and Jew, then we have to look at the world with different lenses. Look at the world differently than what we used to and how the world views each other. We're not looking at external things, but we're looking with a heavenly perspective at people, not for division, but for reconciliation. If your goal in encountering the world and, and uh, preaching to the world is division rather than reconciliation, you've missed our purpose while still on earth right now. There is a time coming where God will separate out. God will declare what is good and what is evil. 
and he will redeem and reconcile and glorify those whom are, have uh, by his grace been called into his people and kingdom. He will separate that out and draw those into heaven. But for right now, our goal is to bring as many into the fold as possible. We are reconciling the world to God. And as David Garland would note down, Paul was, uh, he had this false superficial criteria that led him to view the world for wisdom, influential status, nobility, strength, uh, and all of these things were, were working in his favor to build him up in nobility, to grow his status rather than to grow the status of God in the world. And so Paul was looking at everything on the outside, all these criterias to be met so that he could grow in his own nobility. And yet Christ captured him in that moment, transformed his life. And no longer does he view people based on their external circumstances, but based on the love and grace of Christ in his life, he views people as potential for reconciliation to God the Father. And we need to see the world through a new lens. But we struggle to view the world that way, right? And that's why verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. For new creation people, we view the world differently. New creation people engage the world differently. Now, I've quoted this verse many times, and I imagine you have heard it or have quoted it yourself. But have you ever thought about the implications with the surrounding context? What Paul is saying is that we are reconciling the old into the new that we ourselves have been brought into a new kingdom and now we are going back into the old kingdom, which is the world, and reconciling and drawing people into this new kingdom on behalf of the God of the universe. So our responsibility is not, we don't just sell it, we don't just get to celebrate our new creation status. We don't just get to celebrate that we are in a new kingdom. We have a responsibility that has come with that. The old is past, the new has come. It's actually setting up the next few verses. It's not an end in itself. God didn't redeem you simply so that you would sit. God redeemed you so that you would, he would, you would come to him with reconciliation and go from him with the message of reconciliation. So look at verse 18. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You see how that works together? Like old is gone, new has come. He has, he has reconciled us and redeemed us out of the world into the new, and yet he's given us the ministry of the reconciliation into the old to draw people into the new. We have a responsibility as Christians to go into the world, not be of the world, and draw people towards Christ. Now, this reconciliation is a beautiful thing. You, you can think about it as um, in relationships, right? You have relationships that are broken, severed. Uh, you struggle with uh, maybe friends, family, uh, people whom you used to love, people who you still love and just don't have a relationship with, and it's a struggle. Uh, there's probably few things in this world you desire more than to have reconciliation with that individual, right? Um, we struggle, right? We want to be in right relationships, but we struggle to be in right relationships. That is reconciliation. Reconciliation is bringing back together a wrong relationship into what is right, a healthy relationship. God has reconciled you. Now I want you to specifically see who reconciles. It says everything. Like God has been part of it. He is the one who has reconciled us to him. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. This is one of the the greatest differences between Christianity and any other religion is that God reconciles us, we don't reconcile him. We don't go to God and beg for his relationship with us. He's come to us in order to draw us near to him. 
It's unbelievable that God would come into this filthy world to reconcile us to him. And yet he did. That's grace and mercy. That's in a love that is abounding. And it's, uh, as Cranfield would put it, justification is a judicial term used in the law courts. Romans 5, we see this, right? Justification immediately shifts to, to uh, reconciliation. All right, so justification is this. You are free and forgiven. You are not guilty. All right, simply put. Uh, it's a very simple definition of it. You are free, forgiven, no longer guilty. Now, a judge can tell somebody that. Let's say um, uh, someone comes in, an accused person, and uh, they come into a court, and the judge says, you are not, not guilty. You're free, forgiven, go do what you ever, whatever you want to do. Um, you can do whatever. But do you think that judge is going to invite that person into, a, uh, into their home to meet their family and their friends and become uh, best friends with them? Not typically, right? A judge doesn't go, hey, all right, you're not guilty. Now come on over to my house, and we're going to hang out, Right? Usually it's, okay, next person, bring them in. Let's go again, right? And then not guilty or guilty, right? That's how it works for a judge, but not our God. That's not how it worked, right? We have to, we have to see uh, things differently through a heavenly perspective, not a worldly perspective. Our God said, free, forgiven, not guilty, and then said, come to me. I want a relationship with you. That's reconciliation. You're free and forgiven, and I want you to be in a, a part of my kingdom, my church, the bride of Christ, the ones whom I've called by my name. We are now sons and daughters of God, free, forgiven, not guilty, brides of Christ. Uh, this is reconciliation. And so I want us to be able to see um, what reconciliation looks like so we understand what we're calling the world into. When we call the world in redemption and reconciliation to God, we are not just calling the world um, in some passive relationship, but, some, but we are calling the world in an active relationship with us to pursue after God and be united to us uh, in our relationship with God. That's reconciliation. Right relationships with the world and with God, being restored to God the Father. And as we draw into that right relationship with God, I want to ask you a question. Do you, are you focused on separating the world out or reconciling the world to? Are you separating the world out or are you reconciling the world to God? Look at verse 19. Because we see a shift, right? Reconciliation for us. Now look at verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. We have the message of reconciliation, but our responsibility is to reconcile the world. Did you notice the shift, right? In verse 18, it says God is reconciling us. He's doing everything through Christ to reconcile us. The word us then shifts to world. God now is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed the message to us. He's reconciled us. We have the ministry of reconciliation. He's reconciling the world, and we have the message of reconciliation. So in everything, as God reconciles us, we go reconcile others. As God reconciles the world, we are the ones who have been given the message to enact that reconciliation. Are you preaching the message of reconciliation to the world? Because this is really challenging for us. We have to ask, if God reconciled us, are we going to reconcile the world? If God saw Christ and all sin upon his shoulder, then what do we see when we see the world? Do you see the way the world do you see the world the way that Christ does or do we see the world from a human perspective still? That's exactly what this passage is dealing with. 
Have we come out of the old into the new to view the world through the lens of Christ, not seeing it from an old way, but a new way, not seeing it from their trespasses, but now seeing them as the creation of God that God has uh, died for on the cross. The way I like to think about this is something like this. We view the world like Christ is reconciling and we view the church like Christ is sanctifying. View the world like Christ is reconciling and drawing them to God the Father. And then once they've come to the Father, we view the church as God is sanctifying that church towards him till their final end. We're going to see it in chapter seven, uh, 6 and 7 in 2 Corinthians. This is what God is doing. Now, we ha- what we really just have to be careful of here is that we don't view either the world or the church like a human. We don't view Christ that way. We ought not to view the world that way. This is so important during this time. This world wants you to be twisted, to think differently about how you view Christ, how you view the world, and how you view the church. We need to go back to the word and see what the word says. We are ambassadors. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we ask, what is an ambassador? Because it's not a, not a term we use often, Right? Uh, What is an ambassador in the Greco-Roman world during that day? An ambassador was somebody who was sent from a government or a a high up agency to the Caesar or emperor at that time. And they would request uh, something from them like protection, uh, gifts, or uh, or relationship. Uh, So it could be a reconciliation moment, right? Uh, It could be them just desiring to uh, uh, make their relationships better or to get their protection and imperial favor um, in their community where they came from. Now, these ambassadors were sent uh, with high status, right? So they were the rich people of the, uh, of the, the community, or they were the elite people, the intelligent people of the community. The highest ranking people were sent as ambassadors because when they got to the emperor, they had to be able to speak well. There's quotes from their days of people just saying they they were in utter fear, right, in front of the emperor. Just sharing these messages, making sure they said it at the right time in fear of what he might say uh, and what he might do if they mess up or if they, you know, stutter or if they have an issue in in the way that they speak. We can hear like Moses in the background of this. We can hear even Paul in the background talking about his speech. All these things, they were so like worried about how they presented it to the emperor, Ambassadors were often happy with their responsibility, but they often struggled with their responsibility. Now, I want you to think about how Paul's different. You see, ambassadors in Greco-Roman culture, they could, they could not be imprisoned. But Paul was imprisoned, right? We start to see the shift in what Paul is. Paul's not a Greco-Roman ambassador. He's an ambassador from the kingdom of heaven. And so his responsibility is to go and to reconcile the world to God, not reconcile God to the world. You see, we, we see a little bit different here. You see, Paul's not the one who's going to the emperor to reconcile the world to, uh, 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 to uh, reconcile God to the world, but rather he's the one who's preaching the message of reconciliation for the world to come to God. Now, we do have Christ in heaven who is our, who's the one who's calling upon the Father to forgive us. But that's not Paul's responsibility, and it's not your responsibility. We don't go to the Father and uh, win or achieve or be smart enough or strong enough or rich enough that God would forgive us. There's nothing we can bring in front of the Father. That's why it says everything is from God. That's why Christ is our ambassador to God and we are the ambassadors to the world. 
Because we couldn't be ambassadors to God because we are not what is required. Christ is. And that's why verse 21 tells us that we are being reconciled to God because Jesus has become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Literally, it it required Jesus to go to the cross so that we could become the righteousness of God. It required Christ to go to the Father and say, okay, I've taken upon myself all their sin, so free and forgive them. And now he sent us to go and free and forgive others with the message of reconciliation that God has given us. So look at verse 21. It says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a couple of different ways you could view this passage, especially that word uh, where it says, uh, who did not know sin to become sin for us or to be sin for us. It's quite hard to understand, but basically the best way uh, I've come to understand it in my studies is that Christ takes on the responsibility and the, uh, um, the penalty of what sin would, uh, would do to us. Um, so basically what that means is Christ is not a sinner as if, as if he has sinned, He is not sin as if he is actually sin itself, but rather when Christ views, uh, when the Father views us, he doesn't view us as guilty. He instead sees his Son having taken all of our sin upon himself, and therefore he gives the wrath to his Son and not to us. Now I want you to think about what that means. That means that Christ in Gethsemane, when he prays blood, And on the cross, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's separation. It means that Christ was separated so that we could be reconciled. That's grace. That's unbelievable mercy that Christ would be separated from his father so that we might be reconciled to his father. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is, I believe, this is what is really transformative about becoming ambassadors for Christ. Every single, like I told you, every single religion in the world is going to God, uh, as if I, like I said last week, like climbing up a mountain to God and saying, uh, okay, I've, I've worked hard enough that I've got to you. We are not like ambassadors in Greco-Roman culture either. We're not going to God and saying, look, forgive us, forgive these people because of what we are, because of who we are, anything like that. Instead, Ephesians would tell us it this way. It's like Christ came to us. And it says in this passage, everything God did was through Christ to us that he might reconcile us. And we've got to give all the glory and praise to God for what he has done in our lives. I think this is why this is so important, is that if we don't get this right, we'll start to think, and view the world in worldly terms again. We start to view the world like humans again, not from a a heavenly perspective, but from a human perspective, we start to view the world again. For instance, if Christ took all sin upon himself, how prideful and wrong would it be for us to view the world by their sin? Think about that. If Christ the Savior of the world, 
has taken all sin upon himself from as far as east to the west, like last week we saw as far, far from here into the Shemayim, into the heavens. If Christ has extended that much grace and mercy, then how could we, in our pride, view the world by their trespasses? Verse 18 tells us not to view the world by their trespasses. Instead, we ought to view the world with a heavenly uh, pleading, a heavenly ambassadorship, a heavenly appeal through God the Father's calling in our life and through Christ's death on the cross, we call out, as verse 20 tells us, to be reconciled to God. You see, this is different. We're not saying be separated from God. We're saying be reconciled to God. We're not viewing them through their trespasses. We're viewing them by being loved by God, called by God, desired by God to come into his kingdom. And now we start to see creation, not by their faults, but by Christ's death on the cross, which is the same way God views them. And it's our call right now in this moment, during this time and this day, we view the world and we view people in the world through the lens of Jesus Christ's grace and mercy. Look at verse one of chapter six. It says, working together in him, we also appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Right now, church. This is the moment we preach, we appeal. This is the moment, moment we call the world to God the Father. This isn't the moment for us to watch TV, read uh, newspapers, and read all these different articles and fill our minds with the world's view on sin. Instead, we fill our minds with God's view on sin and God's calling in our life, a message of reconciliation and a ministry of reconciliation. That is our responsibility. Message of reconciliation to the world, ministry of reconciliation to the world. There's tension here. There's tension here because we are the church. We are the bride of Christ. We've been bought with a price. God gave his life through his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us and reconcile us to him and to make us holy. And when you walk through chapter 6 and chapter 7, you're going to see that the church is different. There's, so there's tension there's tension because we're in the world, not of the world. There's tension because we feel like, God, we want to uh, glorify you. So how can we be in a world that does not bring you glory? There's tension because uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 6 and 7 tell us uh, not to be unequally yoked. Chapter 7 tells us that uh, we should cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Verse 10 tells us to have godly grief that would cause us to repent. And so when we look at all of that together, we go, okay, well, God, how am I supposed to reconcile the world to you and separate myself from the world? You see, feel that tension? How do we reconcile right relationship with God, yet separate ourselves out from the world? Well, here's, here's where I think we've gone wrong based on scripture. What we've done is we separate ourselves out from the world physically and we become part of the world, world morally. Yet this passage is telling us to separate ourselves out morally and to become part of the world physically. You see where we've missed that? 
We are supposed to become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, not the sinfulness of this world. We are actually supposed to be redeemed, reconciled, sanctified in God's sight to become holiness to the world that they might see us as the bride of Christ, the bearers of goodness and holiness to the world, the images of God in the world. We are supposed to look like Christ, talk like Christ, be like Christ in this world. But oftentimes... Instead of that, we start to look like the world, talk like the world, be like the world. And yet we still separate ourselves out. You see the problem there? When the church starts looking like the world, but acting like they're separated from the world, that's exactly what Christ came to preach against. That is pharisaical Christianity. That is pride acting like we are separated from the world. We're the church, man. We go to church. We do Bible studies. We do all these different things. And the church looks like division. The church is fighting each other. The church is yelling at each other. The church is uh, unholy. The church is just wrapped up into sin and, and hiding it and not bringing it out into light. Like that is all of what is wicked in this world. And, and so notice this. I think this is important. Chapter 5 through chapter 7 is telling us, be separated from the world morally, but in the world physically, calling them to be reconciled to God. And yet what we often do is we are part of the world morally and separated from the world physically. So church, the way, easy way we can say this is this. Many will say, stay away from the church because your wickedness and your sinfulness is not biblical. Many will say, come, but come clean. You got to be perfect before you can come in here. You got to look right, talk right, all those different things. That's not biblical. Many will say, just come. It doesn't matter how you are. Stay how you are. We don't really care. Do whatever you want. we'll, We'll preach the word and you do as you want. That's not biblical. There's no care. There's no compassion. There's no discipleship in that. It's the few. It's the churches. It's the Christians, the disciples of Christ who will say, come and grow. Because come is reconciliation. Come to the Father, but grow through the Holy Spirit's power in your life. Be separate from the world. Be in the world, not of the world. Be reconciled in the world, but don't become part of the sinfulness of the world. That is our call in Christ Jesus when we view the world. And we can no longer view the world through their trespasses, their sins, and the evil that we see in the world, rather we got to see the world through the lens of what Christ did on the cross. He took their sin upon his shoulders, and now our responsibility is to go and to reconcile them to God the Father. Because if God the Father sent his son to die on the cross, to free and forgive the world of their sin and draw them to the Father, and we're the ones who have the ministry and message, and yet we do nothing, We get the same word that Paul says to the church at Corinth. Why did you receive the grace of God in vain? Church, God has called you, redeemed you. He's reconciled you. You are his sons and daughters. And now he has sent you to be a ministry, the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation to the world. Let it change, transform the way you hear news the way you read text, and how the way, and the way you interpret what's going on in this world. Because a world that is too far from God is not the world we live in. That's a human perspective. This world is not too far gone. Christ came into this world. It's not too far gone. Go preach. My main point for you this morning is this. 
God is reconciling the world through Christ's ministry on the cross and your ministry of preaching. God is raising up in this room preachers, people who will appeal ambassadors for Christ. We are all called to preach throughout scripture. So go preach the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. I have three challenges for you. Practical challenges that come from the biblical truth. First, I'd I'd implore you to make a list of offenses that the world has made against you uh, or against God and list out some struggles that you have maybe in one day or maybe throughout the week that you've seen. Every time you see like a uh, an article or or something in the paper or get a text message of some wickedness or evil or you just hear about something at work or whatever it is, uh, just write it down on a piece of paper or a journal or something. And I want you to, at the end of the day, um, uh, mark out everything that Christ died for on the cross. As far as the east is from the west, and far as we are from the uh, Shemayim, from the, from the heavens, uh, I want you to mark out anything that you believe Christ would die for on the cross. And then the second thing I want you to do is I want you to write a short message for those who are far from Christ in your journal. And I want you to use 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21. Seriously, like practically do this, because if we have the message of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation, we need to be prepared to be the ones who are appealing to the world with the ministry and the message. We've got to be prepared to preach. Like when we encounter people in the world, what are we going to say? What are we going to do? How are we going to live? Uh, what is our physical interaction going to look like? What are we going to do? Prepare that out. Uh, write it on a piece of paper. Put it in a note in your phone. Whatever it looks like. So I want you to make a list of the offenses against God and against you that the world has made. And I want you to mark out everything that Jesus died for on the cross. And then I want you to write out a short message of reconciliation um, that you would preach to the world. And finally, as the band comes... This morning, there may be somebody in this room who you, throughout your life, have never been reconciled to God. That is, you think that you don't have a right relationship with God. You say, man, I I feel like I've been separated from God throughout my life. He's far from me. I want you to hear this morning that our life in Christ is not a, a running to God and begging for him to forgive us. He instead came to us. It's unbelievable. That's the grace of God. You may feel like you've been running and trying your whole life and you were never unworthy, never good enough, and never all those things. That's okay. Christ didn't come into the world so that uh, we could be perfect or good enough. Christ came into the world because we are imperfect. He died for us in our imperfection and sin. And if so... Maybe you're sitting here today feeling like, man, I could never be loved. He loved you before you were perfect. He loved you before you were good or smart, intelligent or anything. He loves you. And so I'll say with the same words as Paul did, be reconciled to God. Find a right relationship with God. It will change your life forever. I'm gonna pray for us. And as I do, if there's anybody in this room who's never uh, had a right relationship with God, I challenge you to ask somebody else beside you, what does it mean to have a relationship with God? Uh, we are around. There's pastors in this room if you need to have a conversation. But I, I thoroughly encourage you to ask somebody beside you. We are Christians in this room. We preach the gospel in this room. Tap on somebody's shoulder and say, I want to know more about Christ. Let me pray for you. God, you are the king of this universe and you are in control of all things that we experience in this world. And so, Father, I pray that as you have done everything for our reconciliation through your son, Jesus Christ, that you would draw us near to you continually every day. Help us in our rebellion. Help us in our sinfulness to understand your grace and mercy and how good you are. Help us to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I pray, God, as you draw us near, you would draw the world with us. And so, Father, redeem us and redeem the world. Reconcile us and reconcile the world through us.
I pray, Father, you'd raise up ministers and messengers in this room right now who will go plead with the world to turn to you. So, Father, we love you and we thank you in your son's name. Amen.
Amen, church. Well, uh, remember your sentiments of darkness lighted up. We pray you have a great week. And as you go, our deacons want to just real quick a moment uh, to share with you something. This Sunday is Pastor Appreciation Sunday, and uh, our deacons have got together and went out and purchased gift certificates for each of our pastors for their favorite restaurant. So hopefully they can go out and have a great time with their family and enjoy a meal together. And uh, then at the first service, we also had a nice bag full of thank you notes from some of the people that sent in uh, really nice letters of thanks and appreciation for our pastors for everything that they do every day and every Sunday. Thank you, people. Thank you, Phil. And uh, I think when he says uh, our favorite uh, restaurant gift card, he actually means Chick-fil-A. But that's, that's okay. I understand. You can't go through the drive-thru line without seeing Phil. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Um, no, but we're thankful. Uh, we are thankful to be your pastors, and we do appreciate it. We love to pastor this church during this time in the world, and so we're just thankful to be able to do that. I don't know, guys. I think uh, the best pastoral appreciation gift I've gotten so far was um, the personnel committee told me they put my critiques on my desk uh, for the year. So I don't know. I'm really excited about reading through those. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love it. Uh, I'm thankful for you, church. I hope you have a great week, and remember you sent Miss Darkness Light It Up. We'll see you next week. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.